it just hits you like on a new level really because I don't think I realized how ill I was and that was also the thing like even when I was in hospital I don't think I ever fully comprehended how unwell I was because I was under the tree like hanging on to dear life whilst Mm. the storm raged on like that was just I couldn't look further than that if that makes sense Mm. but I think you were quite driven to be creative Hello and welcome to Post-Exertional Mayonnaise. Uh, Today we're joined by Jessica Taylor-Behrman, who's an author and lives with Emmy, and um, she's written two books and a third one coming out. Um, So we had A Girl Behind Dark Glasses, which won the People's Book Prize for Best Nonfiction in 2020, A Girl in One Room, and a new book's coming out on October the 19th. And I guess we'll we'll get around to talking about that, um, because that's really exciting, isn't it? So um, do you want to, it's, I was just saying beforehand, it's hard to know kind of where to start because your books are quite autobiographical, aren't they, Jessica? So um, do you want to sort of just tell us a little bit about your life with ME and kind of how you became ill? And then I guess we can get around to sort of later on talking about how you, you sort of came about writing about your experiences. But do you want to tell us a little about your, about your sort of, early life with Emmy and then we can kind of go on from there I guess. Yeah of course and thank you so much for having me on Um, it's really exciting to be able to talk about it all. Um, Yeah so I started suffering with um, Emmy when in 2006 Um, I was 14 just just before I was 15 um, but my my illness came from a virus, so I had a flu virus, and I just never really recovered from it. I tried to push through it and got worse and worse and worse. I was naturally someone who was a very high achiever, always pushing for the next thing. So that's what I did when I was ill. Is like I was, you know, thinking of, you know, I had exams or I had, you know, things I wanted to do. So I pushed through it, and my body couldn't really cope. Um, so I actually had a very in in me terms quite a quick progression progression into severe me um Mm. within six months i was bed bound um and i literally went from sort of being a netball player like and doing lots and lots of different things but out with my friends doing this and having a you know quite a sort of social life as such um to basically being in bed and i remember very clearly Um, my best friend who like one of my oldest friends he was the one who you you know used to come and visit me because I think it's difficult when you're ill as a teenager because it's you're in that stage of life where you're sort of finding out who you are um it's but it's it's just an awkward time so this um friend of mine used, used to come around and visit me and not a lot of my other friends sort of did that much because I couldn't manage it um Mm. And I remember very clearly that like, every month he would, or every few weeks he would come round and I just was worsening and worsening and worsening. Mm. And then I remember the day, the time before I was admitted into hospital, he would come round and, and we could only have a candle light. That was it, like a tea light. That was literally it. I couldn't manage any light, any sound. And I wanted to try and get to the table because he was staying for food and I literally couldn't hold my head up. So I had to be sort of like, not dragged, but carried down the stairs, sat at the table. And I was just like, I I remember being so distraught and just thinking, what has happened? Why has it become, what is this? Because no one was explaining what it was. Mm. Um, No one was telling me how to get better. No one was telling me how I'd get worse. Nothing. I was just left and um yeah it was a really really um dark time um and I got admitted to hospital a few weeks later um but in my case I didn't come out of hospital for four years so it was a very very long process 
very um yeah it's it's quite hard um to to really express it all um the level of sort of things that happened in that time because basically I moved out at for 15 you know like I just moved out and I lived in a hospital um but I think those years are such trans transformative years in your life anyway mm. that to do that in a medical setting where you don't really nobody really knows you or those that do there's you know there's power struggles there is just a lot of um red tape and a lot of things that i think people who read my books now are shocked that happened mm. um but this was like a constant reality for us um you know for for like the people who were in as well so it was it was a very challenging time but it's very hard at this point looking back completely because it feels like a different person's life in yeah. a way um and i guess that's how i cope with it that's how i i can shut myself like i can i can shut the door to that part you know but mm. it's actually been recently that i've realized quite how much i'm affected by what happened that i just mm. don't really know about <laughs> like i i'm sort of learning it all more and more all the time um just how much it affected me mm. And I think that's coming. I I read your first two books, and I wrote uh, reviews of them. And uh, I was I wrote blogs quite a lot more um, when I first became ill. And like now, I feel like I I don't write so much. But I remember reading them, and, and it was because I lived with sort of teenage Emmy um, between the age of like uh, eleven and sort of sixteen, seventeen, and I sort of had a, a sort of progressive recovery after that, and then went on to live kind of quite a normal life for kind of sort of 20 yeah. years really yeah um but like so much of your experiences were in some ways relatable to me mm. but not to the same degree and I, and, I, and I think it feels a little bit like you you just left to uh to the to the gods in a sense like as to as to who you end up treating yeah. who, who treats you and who kind of kind of um takes charge of your care in that sense yes and that comes so it was across like being books. it was like having to fend for yourself basically mm. you just were suddenly like right you're grown up now you have to deal with this um and I think like one of the difficulties was that when I was hospitalized at first um they didn't know anything about Emmy um mm. they had no that the Emmy specialist had seen Emmy they had never seen anyone who was bedbound and had never known about that and had done one day course and was now the specialist. So it was, it was very challenging in that way, but they wouldn't, I mean, simple things like at that time I couldn't speak. I had no energy to do anything at all. So I couldn't really advocate for myself, but they wouldn't put a tube down. So I wasn't getting any food, any food. I was literally um, being told that I had to drink like, eight energy drinks um like 40 juice type thing mm. um and i didn't even manage one and they left me for three days like that wow um and i think like when i look back now like i feel that was a that was what triggered my body to stay in that condition because right. i think it like lost everything and then it couldn't couldn't regain like it was it was taken from being like severely fatigued and etc but needing that extra help but then being left and mm. the body just could not like manage that situation at all um but I think it's only when I look back because there's very few because because of the time it was so it was like 2006 November 2006 and what's really funny about it is um I don't have that many pictures. So it's not like now where we take pictures all the time yeah. and all of that type of thing. So the very few pictures that I see is quite haunting. You mm. see it and you're like, oh my gosh, like how I I can't even comprehend what that must have been like for my parents to have seen, mm. you know, and because inside inside I was just I was just 
on survival. I literally, I, I often describe it like it was like a raging storm. There was hurricanes and all of that. And I was just under a tree, just holding on for mm. dear life, you know. Um, but I remember very clearly just kind of, you know, at this point, I, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even string words together. I couldn't like, they wouldn't form in my head. Like I couldn't, I had no connection. Like there was absolutely nothing there. And I remember very clearly thinking, wow, you know, is this it? You know, is that, I'm not ready for that to be it. Mm. Like it, I, I'm not ready for it to be a full stop. I want it to be a comma. And I yeah. very much clearly remember thinking that. Um, and at the time I was so incredibly unwell. Like I didn't even know people were in the room. Like I mm. had no, my sister used to sit by my bed every day after school and I never knew she was there. I have no, like, I didn't know anything. And so when you, when you're talking of that level of suffering, it's just really, um, to look back at it is quite a, yeah. you know, sobering, um, a thought to kind of go back to it. But I also feel like Emmy, like, is quite unique as well no maybe it's more like chronic illnesses as well but they affect the whole family hmm. you know it's like i suffered but when i look at how much my sister suffered you know hmm. again it's like she had a whole level of suffering that i like whilst i had the physical stuff you know she had to mentally watch me like basically nearly die multiple mm. times over and over. And the way that's affected her, like, you know, I've been ill for 18 years now, but it is only then that you just think, wow, this is such, it's completely changed my family unit. Um, yeah. And everyone has been affected in a different way. Um, and I, I, I truly believe that some, in some way, they're still coming to terms with it now. Like, yeah. I, I don't think they can quite, you know, just take it all in. It's it's such a lot. And yeah. that is that is the reason why my books were not, it was not one book. Mm. Because when I dissected how much had happened in that time, it was too much. It was too much to mm. put in, like... It was, I mean, I, I completely understand that reading them now, they are still quite traumatic and tr quite triggering. Um, mm. There's a lot of hope in there, but there's also a lot of, like, serious stuff that happens. And I honestly believe that if that had all been put into one book, you wouldn't, like, you couldn't deal with that. <laughs> like, I don't no. think I could deal with it. Like, it's just too much. Um, yeah. yeah. So. It, it was it was a lot to read and like i think i think if anybody's read the books or if anybody kind of listening to this is sort of planning to read the books it yeah i think you do almost have to be aware of like it almost feels like you 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 sort of like put it out there and then people reading it are like whoa like like your experiences are are, are raw aren't they in in those yeah. books and how did it how did it feel for you kind of like writing it because it must have felt like whoa to yeah the, some of the experiences that you sort of express and like for me I, I felt like so much like empathy for you for what you were going through but I it also brought up a lot of uh yeah like feelings of me and, and memories from my past about how I was treated by medical professionals but also anger that that's how you were treated and and yeah, like yeah and, and did it was that was that how did it feel so, kind of writing it and, so and getting it out there when it was a girl behind dark glasses, though, that's the first book I wrote. Mm. Um, that felt like something that needed to be written. Mm. And when I say that, I don't mean that like my experience was different to other people's, but I just become sort of seen as like the girl who was in unrest. Yeah. And when I, you know even seeing me at that time and and funny enough if i re-watch unrest now i'm like oh that's a gosh, documentary isn't it so, about, yeah it's a, a yeah, documentary Emmy. about emmy but i was the um representative of the uk in in that yeah. documentary and when i watch it over now i'm like oh my gosh like i i, I looked so like drugged 
<laughs> you know, I looked like drugged with exhaustion, right? That yeah. kind of level. But at the time, people were seeing that version of me. And I was like, you have not seen anything compared to what I was like. And mm. also, I felt like I was doing it for my friends and family because in the book, um, uh, I change because I used to be known just as Jess. Like yeah. everyone used to call me Jess. And I went into hospital and people, you know, like they visited me like once a month or whatever. My family, like every weekend and stuff like that. But I changed like midway through. I was like, right, I don't want to be known as that anymore. But it was never, ever explained to my friends and family. No one knew what happened. Like my, my mm. parents obviously did. And, they, and my, you know, I don't even know how much my sister knew, but like the, my family knew. But no one else had any idea why I suddenly went from Jess to Jessica and I didn't want to be called Jess at all. And, you know, I wrote that, I don't know, like four years after the sort of the it happened and it was mm. it was really bad and um, like my hospital experience and I just felt like in some ways I owed it to myself but I owed it to them as well that I could explain in my own words what happened mm. and why I disappeared and I really felt like those years of my life like the only way I coped with them at the time like when I was in hospital was in my mind I was writing it like I had to write it because mm. it was so for me unbelievable what was happening like I couldn't I come from quite a medical family so like my my mum was a nurse my dad was a paramedic my brother's a paramedic and even they that well even they they could not begin to like it was it was like going into a maze where you just didn't know which way to turn. There was no one supporting you. And like my only way of coping to get through those years was to be able to say that I would I would innate or give I, I suppose give that education that praying to God that it would never happen to someone else. Mm. So that was the only thing I could take was the fact that in writing it down, it could prevent it happening again, or it could be seen and someone could be like, this is wrong. This is what needs to be done. Um, and when writing it, it was incredibly triggering um, because yeah. I don't honestly think my family knew all of it either. Like no wow. one knew all of it because I was, I was a mute for 18 months. Like I was, I couldn't speak. I was tube fed for two years like I had nothing and 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 in one of the hospitals, like I went from being in a pediatric ward where I had like my mum and dad coming and like looking after me and making sure I had everything. And then a specialist came over to that hospital in Medway, um, and they basically took my parents away from me. So they basically went overnight. They said I wasn't allowed to make my diary because I had I had no I hadn't got the energy for that. So I, I wasn't allowed to do it, even though that was given me like purpose because mm. I felt like I wasn't losing the days. Like I I could write something down from each day. Um, and when I say written, like that, you know, a girl behind dark glasses has a lot of a diary that I call bug. And mm. and that diary was to sort of document the days so that it because it all mulled into one. Mm. And basically overnight they stopped me from doing that. My dad was only allowed to visit me for five minutes a day, and my mum was allowed to give me a wash, and that was it. And then I had no one for the whole day. I was just left on my own. And you know, again, it's it's so I literally went from having that support to no one and then I got moved to an adult ward in an in a different county and I was only allowed visitors once a week for like and I was 16 at the time so I was young and mm. I had no one I had absolutely no one um and so like 
to explain all of everything that happened, even to my family. How do you do that when you're only allowed to see them for half an hour a, a weekend? Mm. Like you, you couldn't. So all this suffering sort of happened without anyone knowing it was behind closed doors you know mm. it was in that hospital environment so in a way although it was hard to write it felt necessary to write and it felt like I was explaining to a lot of people without having to have that conversation in person um but I know for example that my like my 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 brother and sister can't read my books like they can't I mean they probably could read the one that's coming out now but they mm. can't you know because it was so traumatic so they haven't the even tried time. I think my sister no I, I don't know that much about my brother but my sister she couldn't even mention the hospital right. she couldn't like it's only been in the last couple of years that mm. she's opened up about how it was, you know, because mm. she went from a family of five who were busy doing everything. to basically been on her own the whole time mm. because um, my brother's older than me. He went off to work. He couldn't really deal with it. So he just worked. Mm. And then my sister was what she was like 10 when I got ill. Um, mm. And, you know, the really, really the, the thing that really sucks about the whole situation is like my sister now suffers with long COVID. <laughs> oh, so she now suffers similarly to me. And it's so like, it, it just breaks you because mm. like, I know what she's going through and I don't want anyone to go through that. So, um, yeah. Mm. And, and I think one of the things that comes through a lot and like, I think you've just expressed that is like it, it felt like a very like I think you talk about different hospital settings that you kind of were in for different periods of time but it, it felt like the, the the ones that were very negative were very controlling like you've just said and it and it it must have felt like you're you're already a prisoner within your own body aren't you because yeah. of the ME but then you're like doubly a prisoner because of this sort of controlling nature of of the, the 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 medical environment and and these sort of strict sort of psychiatrists that are kind of putting down rules that are, are not really evidence based in any way whatsoever. It's just it it just felt so frustrating reading it on on, yeah, on, on your behalf. Yeah, right? I think like the way I managed it and the way I coped with it was to come up with characters. Yeah. So, like, I couldn't speak, but I could make some good characters up of them. So I made them into caricatures almost. Mm. So, like, I had I had one who um, was my OT, and, oh, God, I just – she was honestly so hard, so, so hard, and I couldn't speak. And I just, like, the only way I could cope with her sort of was to make her into like this caricature in my head like so when she came round I was almost laughing at what <laughs> I was imagining her to be like um but yeah but that is honestly how I coach I know that was one of your sort of questions was how was that managing mm. to sort of I did like make them into characters and and you know very early on my coping mechanism was the idea that I was writing a book because before I was ill I was going to write a book with my gran, but it was mm. it was not a biographical autobiographical book at all. It was going to be just a book that we we started writing on a holiday. Um, yeah, so so I was always writing. I always and and for me that gave me purpose through the suffering because um, I I honestly like it's really hard because in the Emmy world, like we, we are now so much more aware of how pushing through something is unhelpful. Um, having unrealistic goals is unhelpful and all those kind of things. And I was talking about this to my dad, but honestly, like it's so weird because now I've sort of come to peace with how I am and my condition and the fact that I live with it mm. and not against it. Mm. But, during that time when I was hospitalized and actually a few years afterwards, I had to be I had to believe it was a fight and I had to believe that I had to keep going. Hmm. And I 
and my dad even said like I honestly if you hadn't been like that I don't know you would ever have have um actually made it out of hospital mm. it was that severe like you know I had to in my brain think I'm I can't like you know I said like I couldn't have it as a full stop it was not meant to be a full stop mm. and in my brain like me defining that uh, defying that and and actually saying no that's mm. not how it and for me that's one of the reasons like I sort of kept going and it's it's a really you know. difficult balance isn't it because like yeah like we uh, Dov and I have talked on the podcast before about <laughs> the I think we have um about the idea of like illness warriors and like I struggle with that term because you you, you can't fight the illness but at the same time no you've got to have a sense of like resilience so it's like i i get where people are coming from that kind of use that term and and and, yeah. and that's fine if people want to it's, use it but it's a it's a difficult one isn't it yeah. that, that, that you're sort of in on the on the on the fence with it a little bit well i think like even five years ago maybe six years ago i would have used that term hmm. but i don't now and i wouldn't now and it's very hard because in a way me having that sort of fighting mindset was the reason I survived, but it wasn't yeah. the reason I thrived. Do you see mm. what I mean? Like I survived through it, but it was, it was not, not that it would ever be enjoyable, but you know what I mean? It was a hard mm. slog. Like it was awful. Whereas now where I don't feel that I have to constantly fight it, I can live within the parameters I don't think I ever gave myself chance to live within those parameters. I know I didn't really have much, <laughs> many mm. parameters, like I had one room, but it was always the next thing. It was always, what could I do to raise awareness? What could I do to stop this? That was the sort of the mindset constantly. Mm. Um, yeah. And then it's, it's only when I go back and like, I watch like the, um, I made a YouTube video in 2012 I think and it's you go back to watching that and it's it just hits you like on a new level really because I don't think I realized how ill I was and that was also the thing like even when I was in hospital I don't think I ever fully comprehended how unwell I was because I was under the tree, like hanging on to dear life whilst mm. the storm raged on. Like that was just, I couldn't look further than that, if that makes sense. Mm. But I think you were quite driven to be creative. And like one of the things I was thinking about was you almost had, even though you, you weren't um, physically able to do much at all, like did you, was it, am I, am I right in saying you had these like laugh drawings? Yeah. That you almost yeah. like you almost like kind of had a pen and a pad and and almost like whatever came out from from your kind of from laughing. Yeah. 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 So basically, um this came from not being able to speak and I am naturally a very creative person. Mm. If I think about it today, creativity is what I use as a like coping mechanism yeah. and I probably have always used it as a coping mechanism, but now actually as my life has become you know, less barricaded in a sense. I actually feel I need the creativity even more. I yeah. need to ground myself in that and actually have that time where I'm not, I don't know, it's really, it's, it's very, it's hard, but I, I have to have that time where I'm just creating. And when I'm stressed out or I'm in a flare up of symptoms, my creative thing will stop. And then I'll be coming up with all these ideas and mm. I can't rest. And it's really yeah. annoying. Um, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, I I basically came up with this idea of painting through laughter. It's quite funny because like now I'm considered by some people like I'm, I'm on like I'm considered as an artist. And this always makes me laugh because I'm like. I gave up art when I was 12. Like I mm. had no interest. I guess it's because they sort of boxed you in a bit. But, but yes, yeah, so I started doing these paintings. But basically the idea came to me when I couldn't speak. And I realised that when someone made me laugh, 
my body would shake like it was an involuntary movement I couldn't help it like it would just rock Mm. um so my idea was to put a canvas um on my stomach and have a paintbrush in my hand and every time someone made me laugh it would make the paintbrush move Mm. and so that's what my early paintings were they were just literally Laughter, laughter, abstract, very abstract. But they were just literally like you know laughter on a on on painting, Um, and it was actually so freeing, so so Mm. freeing um, to do, and I absolutely loved it. But soon, when I could move properly, even when I could move properly, I still did laughter paintings. But now I don't do them because I feel like I've sort of gone past that stage of necessarily being able to do them in the same raw way that they were first created mm. if that makes sense because you can't pretend you can't move <laughs> you know like the whole essence of the laughter paintings were the fact it was like hope bursting out of you you know it was mm. laughter it was positivity sort of bursting out of you but but um i have actually started painting again and um, mm. and these paintings are all sort of an I don't know, like I I wanted to try and make my books really accessible for people. Um, and I wanted people to see the world that I was in. Because I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like, mm. I haven't read them for a long time. Like, I haven't gone through them again. But I wanted people to see it, see it, not just read it. Mm. So I've started doing these paintings, which I'm hoping are going to be sort of ready (laughs) for when my book comes out. Um, But they're all on the imagery that's used in the books. So I've done one that is the world of one room and it's nine separate small canvases that make up a room, but is a world at the same time. So it's, it's what I imagined the world of one room to be, because it's quite a thing when you say a world of one room, it's very hard to, um, I don't know, I feel like that's quite a thing to say, you know, like it's quite a, like, what? How how can that be? And, you know, at that time I made the decision to not call it a prison. It mm. could have been a prison, it could have been a world. But for me, like, and coping, being, you know, I was in a world, in that room for like 12 years. So to mm. cope with it, I made it a world and so I created that via paintings Mm. Um, and I've just done one um, because I've I've done one on not being able to speak so like I would repeat the same sentence over and over again in my head and sometimes like some of the words would come out sometimes they wouldn't Sometimes they were very muddled up. It was almost like I'd had sort of stroke symptoms in the sense like my whole body had completely forgotten how to work. Mm. Um, so I've done sort of a painting on that. And it's so so basically I'm doing different ones on the imagery used in all three books um, to enable people to really see the world I inhabited and see not just the suffering but also see the you know it was a colorful world in its own way and you know nothing is linear linear um it wasn't one it wasn't just up it wasn't down it was like the whole Mm. time so i kind of wanted to be able to express that um so when i do launch my um third book i mean it's it's going to be after the actual launch day but i'm gonna do it as a experience where people can see all the paintings together and they can see what that world represented Mm. and i think like for me it was really important because although it's a horrendous thing to sort of go through and everything is very hard about it it is also like I've had friends die, you know, that's the reality. Like I've lost friends to Emmy and I know how unbelievably lucky I am to still be here. Yeah. And I feel like, although it was a really hard sort of time, like Emmy has made up 18 years of my life. It wouldn't be right for me to just disregard it. 
you know mm. i can't just go away from it that is part of me mm. you know and so i want people to see that part of my life because that is part of my life mm. um and it's made me who i am today it's probably added some good things and bad things mm. um so i want people to see that basically mm. yeah it's definitely definitely relatable yeah um one thing i was going to ask you about was like how you managed like risk taking when you were ill and then i guess i suppose that gets onto a girl in one room because you you sort of like and i guess it comes back to what we were saying earlier wasn't it in terms of like having to fight through things but at the same time like how did you find the balance because you went to speak at a public event, you sort of like, um, it was different thing, you know, you went yeah, shopping yeah. on a, on a bed effectively yeah. and, yeah. and, and like, and then obviously getting married and stuff, but, yeah. but, and, and each one of those things was like taking a risk in itself, not knowing kind of how much it was going to impact you and impact your ME and your body and stuff. And how, how did you kind of like make sense of that? Because you, you must've seen the progress that you're making, but at the same time, you're always living with that kind of fear mm. of of what's going to happen if I do this. Is that was that a really difficult balance to try and oh, it's find? a hugely difficult balance. And I honestly think that if I did it now, I'd have done it differently. And I I really like. It sounds strange to be like that, but I I took too many risks. I right. took far too many risks. Like, um, I probably still take too many now. Um, I think a lot of that personally i believe comes with the naivety of being a very young person who got ill mm. and not knowing about the condition beforehand not knowing people who were really severely affected not knowing uh, not knowing that you could become so unwell that you would pass away from a condition like that like that was never in my mind um and so like for me it was all about sort of I don't know like I had to make it count like mm. that was my coping mechanism that was like how I managed was I was coping thinking I had still lived in that in that time period um mm. I couldn't have forgotten years I couldn't have mm. like I couldn't mentally deal with that um mm. yeah and and so I, I i did take too many risks um but some of those risks i would never take away now you know no, i yeah. think like yeah. it's, it's it's a tricky one it's like <laughs> you know i am grateful for them i'm also know that i a lot of them shouldn't have done or that or that i i was very daring more than mm. more than thing like you know, my, and I honestly think that is maturity, like not being mature. <laughs> I don't know, now, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Because <laughs> now I think, oh, no, 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 that's that, why would you do that? But I, I honestly think like the fact that I had no knowledge, I didn't even know what Emmy was um, beforehand. Like I didn't know anything. So in a way, not knowing was um, a blessing and a, and then and not a blessing at the same time mm. it was both you know i had no experience of knowing that that was the end like uh, that could be the end that you you could suffer with it for the rest of your life i just didn't know that mm. um and my parents sort of made that decision never to tell me that never mm. to tell me like the full thing and when i say because you know i was 15 so i should have been able to like look things up and everything i didn't have a phone i didn't have a phone like i didn't have anything i had mm. no way of contacting the world i only got like i only got like a phone when i was like in 2010 or, or so like i just didn't know anything <laughs> so um in a way i feel like that enabled me to not worry as mm. much and I think sometimes as well, when you had been as ill as like you couldn't even like open your mouth to drink a sip of water, then when you're at the point of, you know, being able to do that, like, you know, 
it feels I don't know like you felt like not better but you felt like oh but I can do this now you know because before it was like a struggle to take a sip of water (laughs) you know Mm. like in comparison to then sitting in a chair you know you're like oh my god that's amazing you know um but I did a video that I haven't watched over in many 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 years called um seven years in the making and it took me seven years to sit out in a chair like it took seven whole years to do that um and it's actually when I think about that kind of thing that was like it was in my head I had to do that like I wanted to do that because I I speak to like friends who aren't chronically ill um and they're like seven years though (laughs) you know like it's such a long time Mm. (laughs) um that that was like here you know that's what I was striving to do and and in a way it's like um being an athlete in your own way like you you have to get back up you have to like you know you have like flare-ups you have setbacks you have all these things and then you know but you have to still you know like I don't mean try in that way you know I I think like for me I had to get back up I had to I had to get to that. Um, but I honestly think if I got ill again now or was more severely affected now, or if it had started now, I think like my response would have been completely different. And I honestly mm. put a lot of that down to youth, um, mm. being young and mm. just not realising, not realising. I mean, I see this like within Share of Star which was my charity that um I that is just that was been running like twelve years, but it's it's come to the end now. And you know, you see those children like and and you have people there, me, you have all sorts of conditions, but I feel like the children they react to it very differently to um adults. Mm. Um because they're naive because <laughs> yeah. they don't have the experience of life letting them down. You know, mm. um, and I, I honestly think I, I would always say that was a massive part of why I acted as I did and why I still, I still got there. You know, um, mm. it's really hard to say. And and again, you know, I have friends who who died in in as a t- as teenagers, but with with Emmy as well. And, and mm. it's it's really hard because like I have. I have that guilt and mm. I've, I've always had that guilt. Like, why did I improve and why did they die? You know, mm. that was, that was like a really hard thing to, mm. that, that I don't think I will ever really come to terms with um, mm. or know how to deal with it. And uh, maybe that's why I do creative stuff. And maybe that's why I still do that and still push awareness and all of that for them. Mm. you know and for those who didn't have that chance to Mm. so you know that's always been something that i think will be with me forever and are there there certain things that you think can you attribute like your sort of slow improvement to anything in particular or do you think because for me like when i was 17 18 i just sort of slowly progressively improved um but there was nothing that i did to enable that is that something that that yeah. for you or like because because reading yeah. the book it's like you you sort of pushing yourself but at the same time it's almost like reading the book because yeah. I'd had those experiences you're thinking oh don't push yourself too hard don't put like I, I was yeah, almost like feeling really that for you reading the book sort of thing you're kind of fighting yourself yeah like you're fighting what your natural urge is and what you physically can do um this is the most asked question I get. Yeah, but, like, yeah. what was, you, how did you improve? And I can only describe it. So mine is the same as you. Like it was mm. gradual over time. I think I was doing the same things for years. Sometimes they weren't working. Sometimes they would improve a bit. Sometimes they would. Um, I would just set back. But I always like my friend described it to me as like improvements are like a garden and you plant the seeds at the same time you plant all the seeds 
you give them all the water. So in my instance, the water was doing like physio exercises so that my body could support itself or all these sorts of things. And you can water them and the sun can be there, but that doesn't mean that they will grow. Mm. And you can keep doing the same movement. Some parts will just grow suddenly. Some parts will overgrow and others just won't grow at all. And until one day they do and they just come up and i don't honestly think for me that was time that mm. was um allowing my body to recover from whatever it was but then the really hard thing to try and explain to people is i'm not better um, yeah 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 and you know like i think with the pandemic as well like people were describing my form of life as a prison <laughs> you know like emmy's mm. world is a prison you know, um, because we don't get to go out every day. We don't get to do all these things. And so it's very hard to describe to someone that, although I've obviously improved, like that's obvious, like I still suffer a lot yeah. and it's not over and it's just something I live with. Mm. Um, and that's that's quite hard to try and explain to someone. Mm. especially if they've not been in that world with me for a long mm. time mm. Um, so they just see it like the odd thing they've heard they've heard about me or they've watched unrest and seen me there and then see me now like oh my god you know miracle cure there isn't one no. there is no miracle cure for it and like the important thing to always say to people is what works for one person won't work for another and mm. um, so i'm very um i don't often tell people to do things because no. i i just know that that is not the answer that um what might work for me might not work for another for example mm. for me like my improvements actually came when i was pregnant with mm. my daughter um and often people are like oh you know tell me what and i'm not gonna tell people that you know that's that's the thing that was the <laughs> miracle you know <laughs> like um yeah because i mean that comes with its own yeah you know things anyway but yeah. also being pregnant with my son the second time around i got worse so mm. i would never tell people one way because <laughs> no. your body doesn't react the same every time and um i feel like that that's the thing people get most frustrated about me <laughs> It's because I can't tell them. I can't tell them no. the miracle cure. There isn't one, no. um, unfortunately, yet. And and yeah, like you're still living with the condition, and that's like really hard. And it's and it's it's not easy because there's still things that you, you, you a life that you want to have that you're not living, and and that must be really frustrating being a parent and then sort of yeah. like having. I mean, my my kids were like seven and. 10 when like i first got ill um the second time and like it was so frustrating not being able to be because I, I i used to go on adventures with my kids and stuff yeah. like that and like yeah. sometimes yeah. it'd be like the weekend and my wife, wife was working and i'd just like go off somewhere and would climb some hill or something yeah. like that and, yeah. and then suddenly you lose that and like yeah. for you that must be really hard like having yeah. to sort of be the best mum you can be but with yeah. this sort of the boundaries so my fear is going back to severe me like oh. that's like a constant fear in my head like it's a massive fear that i don't think anyone really can it's sort of an internal fear that i can't really necessarily express to people very well um i feel like it's a bit like post-traumatic stress um mm. that idea of going back to that life like it terrifies me um i was diagnosed with uh, like medical ptsd um, and I feel like that's part of it that sort of is always here. Um, I kind of live my sort of being a parent as I want as long as like Felicity um, gets to experience something, even if I'm not there, then I would prefer mm. her to experience it. Definitely. So that's always like my feeling like I hate missing out, but I'd rather miss out and then be able to be a mum to her when yeah. she gets home. Um, but yeah, and I feel like balance is is incredibly tricky. Um, personally, I found it really hard when I had <clears throat> Rupert as well um, because 
he's not been a completely well baby anyway. Mm. And I just feel torn in many different ways. And then I feel like when I'm resting or like, you know, like I'm my door's shut to him at the moment, then I kind of, I feel like I'm not there with him. I'm not mm. because I can't, but like, you know, Felicity and Rupert, they're too young to know that. They're too young mm. to understand that. Um, so I find that really hard to sort of deal with. And the thing is, you know, for me, like parenthood, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I have found it a lot more challenging with two, but I love the reason they give me. Like, I love being there. I love, like, sitting there and lying in birds and having her next to me and reading her a story and i love those small little things mm. but it's a really tricky thing to sort of talk about because i know like in the chronic illness world and particularly in the me world like parenthood is not something that is under uh, is 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 okay is there for everyone you know mm. not everyone gets that opportunity um not everyone's well enough for that mm. um and I know like it's a big sort of gray area. And so I feel like I have to be, well, I am grateful for it, but I have to be like careful, you know, cause I, I just don't, I know there's a lot of people who haven't got that, you know? Mm. And like, so it's really hard to say like, you know, it's an amazing thing, yeah. but at the same time, it's incredibly difficult, you know, mm. like, to manage and i think that's the thing it's the managing of the symptoms it's the managing of what you can do as a parent mm. um and particularly um you know my husband um he became unwell as well yeah. so he was my carer and he was like he did everything and then he became ill <laughs> so it's it's really hard. It's really mm. hard because it's not how we were going to plan to do things, if no. that makes sense. But in a way, we've become very used to that because of my illness. Like, you couldn't ever plan anything. Like, it just was when it happened or if it didn't happen, it didn't happen and all of that. But then to add in the extra sort of thing of Samuel not being well, then my son being in and out of hospital, like, it, it's always been something. Mm. and that's what i find hard to manage mm. you know like that that guilt slash frustration that mm. you know i sort of battle with um yeah that's that's the thing for me but throughout it all you've managed to write a third book and 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 do you want to tell us a little bit about that and because obviously that's that's going to be something yeah. that's, that's coming so, out soon and how, how are you going to yeah so my third book is called a girl beyond closed doors and i really feel like this is like i don't know the ending like it's <laughs> such a i feel like it's a positive ending like it's a it's not a because when i was first ill i always had this like fairy tale belief that i was going to get better i was going to travel the world i was going to do this blah blah, mm. blah 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 all of that kind of stuff and i really feel what's quite magical about this book is that it's not the end that mm. I thought it would be but at the same time there is an incredible acceptance of that and actually being really joyful at what it was um so this this book is like about sort of from going from housebound to becoming like pregnant and that first year of having Felicity around so it's a really condensed book like it is literally two years of my life like it has a mixture yeah. of a bit more but it's much more like a solid amount of time because a girl in one room that covered like seven years hmm. in one book this is literally boom a, a certain time period um and I think it's like the uh, my publishers describe it as the most uplifting out of the three. <laughs> like it's, but it is that I really feel like it is that ending that, you know, like it's when I did that last chapter and I did the last four stop. I thought, Do you know what, that's that's it, you know, and I feel very comfortable that that is it. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. So I I've, I I wrote it at night. Um, I suffer really badly from insomnia. 
um have done for a long time um but the funny thing is i wrote this book like originally a year ago so i wrote it before rupert and i wrote it like it was done like it was just in the it was just going through the system as such Mm. so there was absolutely no way i could have written it this year like absolutely not mm. i could not have done it when he was um since he's been here and even before because i was quite ill in the pregnancy um but this kind of feels like a bit of a celebration and and that's what i really want this book to be i want it to be like you know like a i don't know i just i want to celebrate the achievement of doing them as well mm. like i feel like I think probably in writing this book, I realised how hard it was to write the others because you forget every time. <laughs> and mm. then you go to sit down to write it or lay down in my in my um, way. And then you're suddenly like, oh my God, this is such a challenge. Like, so much to fit in. Um, yeah, so I kind of want to do it. And I, and I really want it to be an awareness thing that goes further. Like... Mm. Like my dreams for a girl behind dark glasses, and for that, I want to go back to fifteen-year-old me who was absolutely bloody terrified in a hospital bed with people surrounding you, saying stuff, not talking to you, talking to other people about you, doing stuff that you didn't want done. And I want to go back to that person and be like, "It was okay." Yeah. Like, hang in there. Mm. It's the book I needed to read as a fifteen-year-old. Those books, like. The ending is what I needed to read. And that is really what pushed me to write the book. It's what gives me that purpose is the idea that if another teenager suffers like I was, that you could read something and actually think, oh, my God, someone actually improved. Like, Mm. you know, that that for me is what gives it purpose. Mm. Um, is that idea that it wasn't all worth that it was it was worthwhile like it was worthwhile to go through all that and that mm. maybe it's a selfish thing maybe it is like to feel i have to do that but it's the only way i can cope with the years of trauma <laughs> you know like yeah. and the years of like suffering um the only way i can manage that is to be able to say and i really feel like i'm going to say goodbye to it mm. like i feel like I'm not going to write about it again. Like, that's it. Mm. It's done, you know. And and I guess that's why I'm doing more of the paintings and more of the sort of around that because writing-wise, it is done. Like, mm. I, I don't want to, like, I want to move away from it. And it's not because I want to move away from the ME world. It's because I feel I've left on my terms. I've, I've, I've mm. said to that ME monster, right, you sub- you stay with me you i live alongside you but i pull the cards and mm. for the whole of my life i have never pulled the cards they have i have constantly been controlled by this condition i've been forced into situations i'd never want to be in i've suffered i've had like just oh the amount of things that have happened but it was all due to emmy it was all that emmy monster pulling those strings and telling me what i was doing i feel like i was a puppet Hmm. like i was literally pulled wherever they that it wanted me to and for me this book is a stamp of saying that's it you know that is i'm taking control now and even though i won't take control fully (laughs) but in my mindset i've done it like Hmm. you know like i've come to terms with it and i think like a lot of the whole story of my life is coming to terms with it. And I think like in a way, like I know that talking about pregnancy and all of that is a really hard subject to talk about within the ME community. Hmm. But I really feel like this book is more than that. It's more about coming to terms with the life you now have and being okay with that. You know, because I've spent a long time not ever being okay with it and not ever being satisfied by it. Mm. And in that time, I lost living. Mm. 
you know, mm. I didn't live. I, I literally was looking for the next goal, for the next thing. I had to, like, I wouldn't see people because then that might make me more poorly. So then I won't do it. I was never looking at it from a holistic point of view and actually treating, like, the whole of me and making sure that I had, you know, because in seeing people socially, yes, it made me physically more unwell, but it fed me mentally and it, you know, conditioned to me to realise what I was aiming for or what I needed to get to it all connects but the problem was the hospitals that I was in the I would almost say the conditioning I had mm. in that time was to never accept that was to never live within that parameter it was always about the next thing mm. and to come to terms with the fact that that's not how it has to be and actually admitting that and admitting that maybe the way I dealt with it is not necessarily the way I would deal with it now um mm. um but I feel like that's really empowering to know that and mm. accept that and be able to say to people I wouldn't just fight it I wouldn't just do that you know like mm. that for me feels like um I've really learned a lot <laughs> <laughs> you know and how to manage that mm. so it's it would we kind of talked about acceptance aren't we but it's like it's such a difficult thing, isn't it? Because it, it, it's acceptance with still like a level of actually we, we want to live and we want a life, and and it's just always trying to balance that, isn't it? Like yeah, and and yeah, if if we don't do things, then you know we're kind of like how do we make sense of life when when yeah. months and yeah. years go by but yeah. at the same time we have to kind of yeah, yeah. everything in if everything in moderation i think yeah but the funny thing is like my my daughter has this game and it's called a balance game and it's like a wooden block which is rock rocks and you have to put all these wooden blocks onto it and make sure it balances and I always feel that's a really good way of describing how I have to do sort mm. of my life now so if I go out with my son then I have to put a balance on there but then I have to put a balance on the other side to say right then I'm going to rest for that or I'm going to rest mm. the day before so I can balance it mm. and then I'm going to pick up my daughter then that's another thing so everything costs um, and that idea for me, like having that balance board and having to, you know, like you have a cost for everything and everything mm -hmm. is about balancing um, is actually a really good way for me to think about it um, mm. and me to become more aware, you know. And I think like sometimes it's it's for me, it's also about um, I really feel like how my how everyone else feels about it like how everyone else copes with it um, mm. as well. Because I think like it's a family that are going through this, yeah. right? It's not just me. Um, it's everyone. Mm. And so how I react now, so like me doing this now, I know I need to rest afterwards and I need that time away. But that means I won't be there when my daughter comes home from school, but that's okay. But it's all a balancing, do you know what I mean? It affects mm. everyone. Mm. and that's sort of you know what i've really learned about yeah well um we probably both need to go and rest actually i know yeah. i do because <laughs> like, yeah I it, it is it's like to go there. yeah a bit philosophical for you i'm sorry like <laughs> no it's, <laughs> it's kind of the place that i'm at at the moment it's just yeah and, and yeah. like I, i'm aware that like when i'm making a podcast like we need to be like whoever we have on the podcast and and for me and Dov who who we do it together as well like we we want to be like really authentic about our own sort of state of being as well and like yeah. for me I've like not done anything for the last two weeks like literally apart from yeah. like surviving and then yeah. and then like sort of you know kind of coming to do this today so like yeah but I really appreciate your time and um, no thank you so much thank you so much and it's it's just so wonderful to have always had your support and to know that you can like I come away from the social media world a lot I used to be on it all the time yeah. but I can't really manage that now but when I come on it's so nice to see like the regular yeah. <laughs> you know the sort of the ones who have always been there um yeah yeah you know and thank you and yeah I would just encourage everybody to I would say, but read the first two books first because I think then the third one will make more sense. But like, if, yeah, if you have the read the first two, then... yeah, I mean, as I say, like, I really want it to be that celebration. And even if you don't read it as like an Emmy sufferer, because it, I mean, 
I can understand that it can be triggering, but in a way, that third book is there to be like the antidote <laughs> to the other two, but also get other people to read them that, you, you know, friends or family who don't necessarily understand it um, because we still live in this world where no one understands the condition. And I think mm. sometimes being able to give someone a book or something that actually explains a hell of a lot, not necessarily exactly the same suffering, but the extreme, the experience, you know, and that experience, then I just hope that that will, you know, people will learn from that. My aim is to get doctors to read it. That's, that is my aim. So you never know. You see what, how this sort of painting malarkey goes and then we'll (laughs) (laughs) see where I get to. No, it's brilliant. Well, um, thanks a lot. And, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to for reading the book when it comes out, and I'll, I'll put links and stuff like that. Um, is that something people can pre-order if they want? Or? Yeah, please do pre-order if you can. It makes a massive, massive difference um, to what people are able to do. At the moment, it's not available on audiobook, but I will be doing readings from it on my World of One Room Facebook page. Um, and my aim is to try and get it to there, but unfortunately in the publishing world you've got to have sold lots of books and all this it's not as simple as that mm. um but the first book is on audiobook um but the others are waiting for that <laughs> brilliant so yes thanks for coming on and um yeah thanks. all the best thanks. thank you